It's condensation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job, the series that's dedicated to speaking with recent audition winners and finding out what made them so successful. On this episode, we are going to start with George Goad. George recently won the Associate Principal third trumpet position with the Orchestra Symphonique de Montréal. I think that's French for Montreal Symphony. We started the interview with me asking George, how do you feel you played during your audition? Here's what he said. Uh, I, I played very, very well. No such thing as perfect, but it was, I would probably say the highest I'd ever, like the best playing I'd ever produced in my life to that point was that day. Wow. In particular, like there, there was a, a high B in the the Mahler three, the last movement in that chorale. That was like the most beautiful thing I just had like ever produced out of the trumpet. Um, <laughs> so I was doing stuff that day that I had never done, and I I had never produced even in a practice room. Um, the situation like called for it so much that it was amazing. I really I really was able to step up into a different place. Did you feel like that was adrenaline or your preparation? Like, how? what would you attribute that next level thing happening in that moment to? Uh, I had a major uh, personal and playing breakthroughs happening leading up. Um, I took a couple lessons with Marie Speziale uh, leading up to the audition. I hadn't played for anyone since I left New World Symphony. Uh, it, so it had been two years. I kind of had a little bit of like a on my shoulder about, okay, I've got a principal job. Like, I don't need to pay anyone to, to get advice. Like, and I, I like had played for some of my colleagues in, in Columbus and, uh, that felt like doing due diligence, but I don't know why nothing was really lighting me up. And, uh, I went to visit Marie and she just helped me, uh, just to feel a little more empowered. I had just some past and present kind of personal hangups, uh, that kind of were keeping me from just like going for it, going all at the excerpts and the music and playing like with this full commitment. I always felt like I was kind of, I would psych myself out by being pretty analytical most of the time. And uh, through her encouragement, I, I found my way to like go into this audition with one word and it was brave. I was like, I just want to play the bravest audition that they'll have heard that day. Just like crazy brave with my lyric risks, with power with dynamic range and uh i was like i don't care if i miss every note on this first excerpt that i went in there with these pictures i was like i don't care if i miss every note as long as i'm just like dead on for it and that is so out of character for me that it just like cleared my mind and it worked that day <laughs> yeah that's really interesting i i think anything that can get you into that present moment you know you use the word you know, past and present, I, I think very specific things about using those kinds of words, actually, and the ability to, like, keep yourself in that present moment, not letting things, whether it's, like, missed notes or, like you said, maybe even, like, hang-ups that you may have stop you from being, like, this moment is this moment right now, and I'm just going to give everything I have to this moment right now. And then the next moment will happen, and I'll be in that moment giving what I have to that moment. I, I feel like what you're talking about, it actually does 
help free you up from the worry of anything surrounding that moment. And you're just totally in that present moment. It sounds kind of like maybe that was uh, your experience. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a special day. Sometimes you just, you feel something. I, I had never walked so slowly to the room where the audition was happening, just kind of owning it that day. So, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, we could talk a little bit about your preparation in terms of the technique. I always find this fascinating because everyone's got a little bit different way of doing it, but kind of what was your approach when, um, ironing out the details, so to speak, making sure your time was good, your pitch was good, all those kinds of things. Do you have a process you go through or was it kind of just whatever it felt like in that moment? Yeah, I, I definitely had a process that developed and I, I'd say I keep about 75% of that process that kind of developed when I won Columbus. Most of that being, uh, I can compile a list early enough, but not so early that I'm just going to burn out. So I, I compiled the list in the excerpts 10 weeks out, but I kind of made myself stay in a place of uh, technique. So I was working through like Charlier uh, and top tones on C trumpet. And I'd never played through the top tones book before, but I was like, I, I need to like have some extra strength up there on my C trumpet. So I was taking myself through through those books and just kind of playing. Um, I was doing those, and I was playing through a couple excerpts I was worried about and the Tomasi because I was like, these are the couple things that I'm not probably going to feel the most confident about. So I needed as much time as I could on those. The standard excerpts I wasn't touching at all. I was like, those those are tried and true. I can come to those about four weeks out and know they're going to be fine. So I was I was pretty heavy on my uh, technique work and a little bit of rep. And as the audition came closer, I started to work in more standard excerpts. By the end, I was barely playing any technique. I would just warm up and make my looks feel good and then work on rep going into the audition. A big part of my process is that I like to live in half-tempo world for like weeks. So I, I like to play the excerpts just straight up half of whatever the tempo marking is. And it's super strange how your brain almost doesn't feel the difference when you double the tempo because our brains are fascinating things. And, and so when, when I'm playing Petrushka like at half tempo, you, you live in each note so deeply that when it goes to full tempo, I don't know, the fullness and the presence in each and every note is, is a weird thing, but it just feels like you're programmed. So I do that for like half the time. Do you do it tongued at half tempo or slurred at, at half tempo? Uh, a or mix. A I'll do a mix. Them. But mo yeah, most things, I would say most things during those early weeks are at half tempo and all slurred. Or if, um, if I'm going to work on Pines of Rome lyric solo, I'm going to play it at tempo, but I'm going to go... And I'll tongue all those with a legato, or I'll I'll find the low brass part and I'll and then I'll play the lick. Just kind of finding different ways of thinking about the excerpts, and and kind of working the pitches and the way you're going to get around the horn in there, but not definitely. A lot of my practice doesn't sound like what I'm going to be performing in a few weeks when I'm in those first few weeks. And it feel, the first time I did it, it felt a little bit scary. But now I trust it so much more that I don't feel right 
playing anything for anyone <laughs> that often if I haven't lived in half tempo. When I have to just demonstrate Mahler 5 for someone, like, oh, I need, to, I need to do this for half tempo for two weeks before I really own it. <laughs> I find so. <laughs> that, like I was saying, that's fascinating to me. I actually have done a podcast episode about this exact thing, and it comes from my time powerlifting and learning a lot about that and how there's different phases in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And the early phase is a lot of repetitions with light weight, so you can, like, perfect the technique. You're doing a lot of assistance-type exercises, so exercises that don't necessarily – like, if you're trying to get better at the squat, bench, and deadlift – you're going to do things like lunges and maybe jumps and stuff like that to help work your weak points. But as you progress towards the, the powerlifting meet, what would, what would be our audition, you start mm-hmm. – the specificity goes up. And so you start squatting, benching, and deadlifting more because that's what you're going to need to be able to do, right? So at some point, you have to shift into doing that a lot more. So it's interesting to me that you spend a lot of time at half tempo where the excerpts almost don't even resemble what they are supposed to be. And then you're playing things like Charlie A's just for, like, general health of playing. And then as you progress, you get to the point where you said, like, the week of, you're only playing the excerpts and the technique. You're like, I've worked on the technique. Now I need to make sure I'm ready to play the excerpts. I find that very fascinating that you have come to yeah. that conclusion, but in a completely different way than, than I may have. So, I mean, to the point of – so I had four blank days prior to audition day. So during the first two days – I played through the entire list in like, so I would play for 30 minutes, just like as much of the list as I get through in 30 minutes, take a 10 minute break and play as much of the list and, and keep going until I was done with the list. I just did that for four days. Um, yeah, that's just a lot and, of repetitions. I'm sure your confidence just became Yeah, and, and of now. course I was, I was recording all those and I was just listening for like, how committed am I to this? How just like fully on into every excerpt am I like, and, and it comes through. Did you record yourself at any point listening for things like pitch and time? Did you have a different, like, point where you recorded so, yourself listening for that? So, pitch and time, um, I mean, when I'm doing everything at half tempo, I have a metronome running and I have my uh, tuner out. And then when I start doing something that I like to call mini mocks, so this is probably three, three and four weeks out from the audition, I like to do mini mocks. So I just put my phone out to record and I'll just play, I'll, I'll do two or three excerpts. So just getting used to a little bit of like, okay, I'm going to do these cold. And during those, there will be no metronome, but there'll still be a tuner. And I just use my old fashioned tuner. I just, it's green if I'm in tune, it's red if I'm not. Right. Um, and I'm listening, when I listen back, I'm listening for the, the pitch. I'm not, I'm not super diligent on, on the pitch stuff. Um, it was never brought to my attention that it was that much of a worry for me. So I never got into the drone thing. Um, yeah, I've, I've not explored that path as fully as some others have because I, I just never got a lot of feedback about my pitch. Right. Monkey. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, and then when I'm doing my mocks at the end there, I, there's no tune or anything. It, it's as much like the audition as I can make it. So did you get any comments from uh, – obviously, you're not getting maybe written comments, but maybe did you have a chance to talk to any people about the audition to confirm some of this stuff about maybe that recording, listening for your commitment, that that came – obviously, you won the job. But did they comment anything specific about your audition and things that they felt like went really well? Oh, man. I, I got some I got some nice comments. Uh, well, of course, what was funny was uh, – <laughs> So Paul Markello let me know that the music director, you know, didn't want, you know, there were some things that, that he was very concerned about, like 
my high E and my high F being a little low on Christmas Oratorio in the third round that I played in like three and a half hours <laughs> in the finals, uh, picking up a piccolo for the first time that day, uh, you know, and, and having to explain like, oh, you know, that, that's difficult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's such a conductive um, thing. Uh, uh, when, I was right. in, when I was in Indianapolis, the, uh, the final round, Schumann 2 was near the beginning of the round. And then it was a long list of things like Heldenleben and Mahler 5 and some other stuff, right? Like a lot of heavy stuff. And then the round ended, and then I heard the conductor say, could you please play Schumann 2 uh, as soft as possible? And I was like, this oh, yeah. is actual worst-case scenario. I think I've, I'm experiencing actual worst-case scenario. And I, got, I, I was told later um, that the conductor was like, well, he didn't play that much softer. And the second trumpet was like, that's insane that he could do it at all, you know? Like, like so that's I mean, yeah. a conductor thing to say. No, but um, besides that, uh, you know, I I just got some comments that confirmed that I did a few things super special. And then, um, I mean, sweet, kind of like sweet lyric playing has always been my, my happy place, and I grow – out of that to find my uh, strong playing, my Bruckner kind of playing, but that's my sweet spot, and uh, that spoke to the woodwinds greatly. I mean, yeah. they, during my and I did have to play a two-week trial period um, following the audition. Uh, that was months later. I, I, it sounds like it's pretty standard here for any title chair that they they do uh, end up having people do a trial period. Right, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, the feedback was all quite good. I. I felt like people were, were happy, and uh, it was actually it was the fourth time they held this audition, so they, there was a lot of relief at hiring someone. I'm sure, yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I know you have a long uh, a long document uh, of things you could say, but I, I feel like that was a lot of really, really good stuff to, to think and ponder about, and um, maybe as the series goes on, uh, maybe I can give you a call back and we can do a part two or something like that and focus on a, a different aspect of, of preparing for an audition. But, uh, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Sure thing. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Bye. Bye. George's story about playing for Maurice Speziali and coming out of those experiences with a plan to be brave and to take risks during the audition is very inspiring to me. Him being willing to drop his ego and realize although he has a principal job in a great orchestra, he's never too good to seek out help and to find ways to keep improving. And obviously it worked out for him pretty well in his Montreal audition. Next up, we have Derek Fenstermacher. Derek recently won the principal tuba position with the St. Louis Symphony. It was really wonderful to get a chance to speak with him and hear about how he was able to get prepared for his audition while maintaining an incredibly busy professional and personal life in New Jersey where he was playing before. We started out his interview with me asking, how did you prepare the excerpts for this audition? Let's find out what he said. Well, for this particular audition with St. Louis, uh, it was actually just a um, continuation of a previous audition experience I had with the Louisville Symphony Orchestra. 
and uh, they had an audition about a month prior to the St. Louis audition. The list was very similar to the St. Louis list. So a lot of my preparation started uh, back in August. Basically, that was about three months before the audition, two, three months before the audition. And I started just kind of going through the, you know, a lot of these excerpts I've played, you know, so many times as, you know, a lot of experienced orchestra players will talk about is how, you know, these excerpts, they, they played them so much. And, you know, in some ways you can become stagnant with the excerpts. And that's one of the challenges of practicing these excerpts in general, I find, is trying to keep the interest in it. And for me, one of the things that actually helps is to, believe it or not, not do the excerpts every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, I think that's an important aspect. And being able to play other pieces of music, obviously, and, you know, with my orchestral lifestyle, playing a different program every week obviously keeps the musical interest going. And, you know, even playing different genres of music, you know, listening to different genres of music, you know, it, keep, it just keeps your musical palette kind of fresh. So, sure, yeah. um, you know, in a particular audition circumstance, I might start preparing two months before an audition. And, you know, initially that process usually incorporates, you know, a fair amount of just, you know, brushing the dust off the excerpts, you know, getting the continuity, getting the repetition in, trying to get the consistency of just playing the excerpts, you know, first and foremost, getting that kind of squared away. So, you know, it takes a couple of weeks uh, these days, especially because I, you know, like I said, most of these excerpts I've played a bunch now. Uh, for the St. Louis audition, there was actually just two pieces that I had never played before. One of them was a John Adams excerpt, and then the other one was, believe it or not, the tuba solo they asked, which was kind of a unique situation too, which I can get into. But you know, from a technical standpoint, you know, obviously just brushing the dust off, getting the, like I said, repetition, and trying to get everything consistent. Um, and, you know, it takes about two weeks. And once I get that going, um, then I kind of, you know, kick it in the high gear, start taking it to the next level. Um, like I said, for this particular audition, the Louisville audition happened right right before, like four weeks before. And I took that audition and I didn't even get out of the prelims. That was kind of a good opportunity, especially on that drive back. I drove uh, back to New Jersey the next day to kind of reflect on things I could have done better, you know, all that stuff. And um, by the time I got back to New Jersey, I had done a little bit of personal reflection, kind of meditation, quote unquote, uh, while I was driving, you know, it, it, it was a long drive to kind of work through the yeah. mental things that I was kind of dealing with at the, at the moment. You know, part of it, I, I had just taken Kansas City Symphony about five months prior to that. And uh, I got into the finals and, you know, so I was in a better place, you know, audition wise and to have what happened in Louisville kind of was a wake up call for me that for St. Louis, I need to just really, you know, dial it in, kick it in the high gear, kind of just devote as much time as possible to the audition. One of the things that's unique about what I did in New Jersey is uh, I actually had four different careers going on at the same time. I, I was doing New Jersey Symphony, I was doing Albany Symphony, I was doing Montclair State University, and I was teaching at Bard College, too. Wow. So, you know, in, in any given week, I could be state trotting back and forth between New York and New Jersey, and, you know, it kind of became a very normal thing that I was driving two to five, six hours a day even. So, you know... It, Driving a lot, I've learned to 
take that as an opportunity to also prepare for these auditions. You're obviously listening. I would do a lot of buzzing in the car. I would even vocalize stuff, too, because uh, I think that's an important aspect of taking these auditions is just hearing these excerpts and, you know, and singing them with the music and stuff. I, I think that's an important thing about getting ready for an audition, too, because it's it, you know, getting away from the horn, kind of working through some of the rhythmic things, you know, that might be a little bit different with the instrument, for example. So, but like I said, I, I, you know, doing all that driving and, you know, even driving back from Louisville, you know, <laughs> it, it's a very normal thing. I've driven so many miles over the past 10 years of taking auditions, 10 plus years, actually. So I think you're in the place of you decided you're going to kick it in the high gear for St. Louis. Did that mean something different, yeah. or that just meant really, really stay focused? Well, when I when I won New Jersey, for example, one of the tools that you know I feel like helped me, and then you know this was back in 2011. Um, I was living in Houston. I was studying at University of Houston, and I just also happened to be teaching a lot too, because that's one of the things about living in Texas is you can teach a lot. So I had about 35 students at one point, and this audition for New Jersey opened up and. What I found myself doing was, you know, I'd be teaching at a middle school or high school, whatever, and I'd have like a 30-minute window here, 45-minute window there, you know, an hour window if I was lucky to just do what I want. And obviously, in this particular circumstance, I chose to practice. So, you know, I'd teach for two hours, practice for 30 minutes, teach two more hours, you know, have a 45-minute break, you know, do that kind of thing. So I just maximizing my time was a really important aspect, and I, I... learned that, you know, in the New Jersey audition, I think it helped me ultimately have the success I did for that. So I auditions that uh, particularly I put a lot of dedication into, uh, not to get in specifics, but, you know, one that comes to mind is Cincinnati, for example. I uh, studied in Cincinnati, so I was very motivated to do well in that audition. So, you know, that's another audition that I really just tried to maximize my time and when I did Cincinnati, for example, I was doing all four of my jobs. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, trying to, you know, balance all four of those jobs with preparing for an audition, you know, that's when I was really starting to take every opportunity I could, you know, whether I was, you know, if I wasn't doing a normal human function and spending time with my wife, because that's another important aspect, is, you know, family is important even in these audition times. <laughs> You know, you definitely want to make sure you make time for your family, too. So that's one of the things I've also learned in this process, but just maximizing your time. So did you do those short practice sessions with getting ready for St. Louis when you talk about maximizing your time? Did you go back to doing that, or did you have a different way that you implemented it in your practice where you felt like you were thinking, yeah, this is maximizing my time and helping me make sure that I'm getting the most out of it? One of the things that... You know, everyone's different, and I understand that as a teacher, you know, everyone comes in from a different circumstance. You know, not everything works for everyone. I have a lot of friends that, you know, get a lot done in the morning, for example, their morning practices. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm a late-night practicer. So even back when I was in college, I was always making sure that, you know, that I get a good night's sleep. But, you know, I would practice until, like, 2 a.m. Wow. Sometimes as late as 2 a.m. But usually usually I get done around midnight in college on a normal normal week. But, uh, you know, in in professional life, it's a little different because, you know, you have have more responsibilities and you you have to make sure you get those out of the way. But 
I, I'm still a late night practicer even today. So, but you, you know, you're talking about things specifically I was doing. You know, for example, I was in a, a movie concert with New Jersey Symphony, and it was a lot of playing. But you know, I still had to make time for practice. So in between rehearsals, you know, we might have a two-hour break, or you know, we had a rehearsal um, on a Friday, I believe, and we had like a three-hour break before the concert. So. You know, even in those movie concerts where I was having to play a lot, I was still taking opportunities in between to keep my chops up with the with the excerpts. And I know one of the things I like to do, especially two weeks before an audition, I think it's important for your endurances to get through the entire list every day, including the solo. Sometimes I would even play the solo twice, once at the beginning of the list, and then at the end, you know, once you play through all the excerpts, play the solo again. You know, when you're quote unquote fresh, and also when you're quote unquote at your you know furthest in terms of endurance. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and in particular for St. Louis, they were asking a very challenging, athletic, high tuba solo. So I was kind of making that a priority, especially for this audition. So you know, in between rehearsals, before, after lessons, you know, like I said, late at night, those are the times that I was really making time to practice. Sure. So you talked a little bit about this meditative space you were in after the Louisville audition, and it reminds me a lot of talks I've had with many people at this point who have done well in auditions, and I'm just curious how you feel like your mental state um, affected your success in St. Louis. So do you feel like that was something you worked on purposefully? Do you feel like that sort of once you had that meditative state and you kind of something clicked and then you were just in that space and didn't have to worry about it anymore? Or how did you go about making yeah. sure that your brain and your mindset would be in the right place in order to maximize your playing abilities uh, on stage during the audition? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, for this particular audition for St. Louis, um, you know, one of the things I can tell people comfortably is I, I know a lot of really, really great tuba players now, and I, I share a lot of great friendships with some really wonderful musicians. And, and for example, with the St. Louis audition, uh, I, I was auto-advanced in semifinals uh, prior to the audition. So I had already known a lot of my friends going to be at that audition, also in the semifinals. And, you know, I get to the audition and I see all these great players around me. So it's very easy to get nervous you know, if, if you let it get to you, but, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that, you know, you just have to pump confidence into yourself and not let those things affect you. I'm, I know some people use, you know, headphones, you know, they do the, you know, like with, with Michael Phelps, for example, you know, he would wear headphones and, you know, he used it to kind of get the distractions away. Right, and, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm actually not that type of person, but I know a lot of my friends that do that. And you know, that's fine. I, you know, everyone does what works for them. One of the things I think for me is just to kind of get away from things and just kind of personally just get into a zone. Um, so that's one of the things I, I make sure I do in the audition is I just kind of get into my own quote-unquote bubble. Once the round's over, then you have an opportunity to kind of, you know, mingle and, you know, see your friends. But once the round started, you know, you're in the zone. So there was one other thing I was going to mention. Sure. Um, and it, it was it was talking about this, you're talking about the mental aspect and um, one of the things that, you know, I I deal with a lot is my own negativity um, for myself because I I get, I'm very hard on myself even, even now. Um, I I have a tendency to just, you know, 
get on myself for just the littlest mistakes, uh, especially musically. It's part of part of my own just holding myself to a higher standard that I, that I feel like I need. But for this particular audition, you know, I tried to turn that negative into a positive, and I think that's one of the important things when you do well in an audition. I think it's best to approach it from a place of positive and not from a place of being negative. Uh, there's a lot of negativity in the world, obviously. So trying to be that positive influence, I think, really helps get your mind in the right place, and you know, it, it just it helps evoke the the right musical confidence to the committee as well. So for this uh, particular audition, you know, I, I don't share this with a lot of people, but I guess I'm not sharing now. But um, <laughs> you know, in retrospect, one one of the things that I, I was telling myself in the warm up room before I went on stage was that uh, everyone behind that curtain, the committee themselves, everyone there is your friend. Even if I don't know these people, these people are my friends. Because that's one of the things I know that kind of gets to me in an audition once I get on stage is I know there's people judging me. And, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, kind of just mentally lock them out of your mind, however you want to put it, you know. And I, I've gotten very comfortable you know, before an audition, doing a mock audition even, where I would just be on stage by myself and I would feel completely comfortable playing these excerpts. And every time I get into an audition, I would deal with nerves, heart racing and everything and things that were distracting me and then taking my confidence and bringing it down. So, you know, I think one of the things that helped me for this audition especially was just turning a lot of these negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And like I said, one of the things I think that helped was just keep telling myself that, you know, everyone on that committee is your friend. They want you to do well. And I think that's one thing that really helped me. Yeah, I think that's really cool, actually. And I think it's a very important thing for a lot of people to consider is that kind of most traits, like you said, can be looked at as a positive or a negative. And I think just to back up slightly, and just, you know, I've, this is kind of where we can close if you'd like. I'd be curious what you thought about this idea of you being so hard on yourself that can be viewed as a negative, certainly, because it can kind of bring you down emotionally. But also, you being that hard on yourself is probably why you play so well in the first place, right? So there's sort of a, a back and a forth. And I'm just curious how you try to balance that, because I think a certain amount of that is necessary in order to really dig deep and get those really fine details out is being really critical, really hard. But how do you sort of find yourself... Uh, how do you find yourself with the ability to do it from like a healthy, positive place rather than a negative, sort of uh, destructive place? Well, I think one of the, you know, not not the quote famous musicians, but there, there's one quote that I tend to come back to in circumstances like this, and it's a quote from Arnold Jacobs, actually, and it's, uh, we don't work on problems, only solutions. And I use that a lot in my teaching as well. So, you know, say we're working up a particular technical problem or something, you know, instead of tackling the problem, approach it from a different mindset, you know, either try a different technique or approach it from a different dimension, however you want to think of it musically. Approaching it from a, from a solution standpoint, I think, evokes more positive into the situation sort of, you know, if you think about working on the problem, you're criticizing, you're, you're looking at yourself in a negative light. So I think that's one of the things that from a teaching and also a musical and, you know, practicing standpoint, I think has really helped me over the years and 
you know, even when I was younger, I was, I wasn't even realizing I was doing this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've had some really great teachers over the years, uh, including uh, your, your tuba player and your orchestra, actually, Andy Miller. So, yeah. Um, you know, all, all, the, all these people have been very influential in that mindset, I think, too. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I, I always really find it interesting, I guess, uh, to listen to what people say about mindset because I think, in my opinion, it's, you know, 90% mental, you know, where you get yourself mentally will have more impact on your success than I think your just your skills alone will. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really yeah. cool to hear that you've been very thoughtful about that side of your playing as much or maybe even mm-hmm. more so than the physical part of it. Um, well, you know, you know, one of my best friends, Aubrey Ford, you know, he's taken a ton of auditions and, you know, I, I can't remember the exact number, but, you know, somewhere in the in the vicinity of 40, 50 auditions. He's actually 45. Years. I just um, interviewed him like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, so I kind of went through my own timeline. Uh, I, I kind of made a list a while ago and kind of motivated by Aubrey, but, uh, I've looked through my own timeline and going back to 1999 where I did a substitute audition for the Huntsville Symphony. I've done around 21 auditions. So I've, I've done, I haven't done as many as, as Aubrey, but what I can tell you is every single audition I've taken has been a learning experience, you know, whether it be the preparation before the audition, you know, the, the weeks before you know, even to the day of the audition, you know, how I wake up, you know, what do I do when I wake up, those kind of things. So I I think it's, you know, and I talk about this in my teaching, it's so important to take a lot of auditions and take them early in your career. Because, you know, like I said, you know, Aubrey has taken him 45 auditions. For me, it's taken around 20, 21 auditions to, to get where I am now. And you know, that's it's such an important thing. You know, not not everybody's going to win on their first audition, but it's it's so important to start. You know, you learn something from every audition. You know, I, I like to tell people to to take notes, even you know, keep a keep a log, keep a journal. You know, of what you learned. You know, whether it be wake up an hour earlier. You know, if it's a morning audition. I know for St. Louis, I woke up I think at like 5:30 in the morning just so I can make sure I got an hour of warm-up in before I even went to the hall. Sure. Because I think I had, to, I had to be there at like 8 o'clock in the morning. So, so I, you know, I just wanted to make sure I was completely awake. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've learned from previous auditions. So. Well, cool. Uh, that's, all of that stuff makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I appreciate how thoughtful you are. And I appreciate you giving me your time and being willing to chat with me for a little bit. It, it means a lot. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, having me come on here, and it's a pleasure to meet you, and uh, thank you so much. All right, man. I hope you have a good night. All right, thank you. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I think it's really cool that Derek took his life circumstance and made it work for him toward achieving his goals. From using his car time to buzz or listen to the audition materials to treating each audition like it was an experience to learn from, he made sure he was maximizing every experience in his life to make sure all of his bases were covered. I also think it's interesting that although both of them were very thoughtful in their mental preparation as well, what each of them needed to focus on was very different. It just goes to show that every individual is different and each individual needs to take the time to find out what they need 
to be successful in a given audition. I think that will be all for this episode. I want to thank both George and Derek for being willing to share their success stories and giving us all some great advice to think about for our own preparation. I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. 